Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of 2 Corinthians in the New Testament. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to head out in the foyer on the table there. There's some. You can grab one. Um, it'd be good to have one as we as we look at God's Word this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. As we do that, I want to do a little show and tell. I'd like to show you this. This is a uh, a reindeer Christmas ornament. It has my name on it, Andy. I think it's... I think it's 32 years old. I th- I'm pretty sure this was given to me in 1981 when I was born. I was born on Christmas Day, so I have lots of Christmas ornaments. Um, so this was given to me by my aunt. But last year I noticed something for the first time. It says on the back here, it says, To Andy from Lee, my, my aunt Lee. But as I was looking at it, I noticed that this has been re-gifted. <laughs> that originally it says, underneath my name, To Linda, which is my aunt's name. And then it says, from someone else. She took this, someone gave this to her, and she wrote my name on it and re-gifted it to me. She recycled this this reindeer ornament. Now, I am 100% okay with that. I, I think it's I think it's hilarious. I'm not angry about it. I think it's I think it's awesome. In this season, you know, there's so much pressure to give and to to buy gifts for everyone. And so I think it's great that she recycled the ornament and that she took the time to personalize it. You know, I mean, she put my name right on there, and I love it. And I hang it on the tree every year for the past 30 some years. So I, I think that this is actually the true spirit of Christmas, and, and this is true generosity, what my aunt did in giving this to me. That's, that's kind of the question we want to talk about this morning. What is, what is true generosity? This is a season of generosity. What, what is true generosity? How do we give in a way that, that truly reflects Christ? We've been, the past couple of weeks, we're in kind of this mini-series for three weeks. This is the last of it. Just thinking about um, the call for the children of God to help the neediest of society. We've talked about how we are to care for the, the widow and the orphan and the stranger and the poor, and that that is a, a reflection of the, of the character of God, of his kindness and his goodness and even his, his justice, and that he has a heart for those that are in deep need, and so we need to, hit, to have that kind of a heart. And, and then we talked um, about how this care in many ways authenticates the message that we proclaim. We, we proclaim this good news that Jesus has come to save us when we are in deep need and that, that when we care for those in deep need, we actually show forth the truth of the message that we are proclaiming. This morning, then, I want to think about this idea of true generosity. Because one of the ways, one of the main ways that we show care for those that are in need is through our finances, is through giving of money. Um, and, and yet, as we've, we've said, giving to those in need is it's something that everyone does, especially this time of year, right? Everyone's giving to people that are in need. So what is unique about the way that we as followers of Jesus Christ are to give? And as we look at 2 Corinthians 8, we're going to look at verses 1 through 15 and see this truth. This is the main idea. A heart of true generosity is a gift of God's grace. A heart of true generosity, not just just general generosity, but true generosity is a gift of God's grace. So let's go ahead and read in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 15. Feel free to follow along with me, and then we'll consider what these verses have to say to us about true generosity. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. The Apostle Paul writes, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. 
For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Now we're jumping right into the middle of the book of Second Corinthians here, and so let me give a little bit of context for what this is coming out of. Paul had written the letter of First Corinthians probably about a year earlier. So he writes letters to these churches, to the church in Corinth, and he writes a letter to the church in Corinth, which is First Corinthians, and there also seems to have been a letter in between First and Second Corinthians that we don't have, and then we have Second Corinthians here, this letter. In the first letter, in chapter 16, Paul says, he, he talks about this collection that he's going to have for the saints, specifically for the saints in Jerusalem. So the saints in Jerusalem were in some deep need. They, they were in poverty, and Paul was going around to the different churches and asking that they donate to help these struggling Christians in the church in Jerusalem. And so in chapter 16, he instructs the Corinthians, he says, what I want you guys to do is set aside a portion Every every time that you meet, set aside a portion, and as that gathers up, I'm going to send someone, and they're going to come and, and collect all that money and take it to the church in Jerusalem. Because they couldn't just wire the money, you know. I mean, this is they got to pick up the money and they got to they got to take it somewhere. So the church is to collect this over and over. Now here in in Second Corinthians eight and also chapter nine, Paul kind of revisits this subject with the Corinthians, and he says that the time's coming. I'm going to send Titus soon, and Titus is going to come and, and collect the money. So I want to make sure you guys are doing this. Are you doing it? Are you collecting the money? Because because you said you were, and so now we want to bring it to the churches in Jerusalem. And as he's talking to them, he he talks about. Uh, he gives them some instructions, but he also gives them an example. And the example is the churches in Macedonia that he had visited. And the, and the, the churches in Macedonia had given in a unique way, and he uses them here as, as an example. So as we consider the relevance of these verses, let me, let me just say two things to start off with. First, this gift is not for the regular operation of the church in Corinth. So when they collect this money, it's not going to pay their pastors. It's not paying for to heat their their building. This is for those in need in the church in Jerusalem. So hear this. My heart in preaching to you this morning is not so that you will give more to Grace Fellowship Church. That's not what we're talking about. I, I don't want you to give more so that so that I have a bigger salary and we can get a different building. I am 
perfectly content with the generosity of the salary that you all give me, and I'm happy with the building that we have. So what this is about is about giving to those that are in need. This is a special kind of offering that he's asking them to do. And so my heart, and more importantly the heart of this passage, I think, is that we would be compelled to be individuals, and not just individuals, but to be a church that is marked by true generosity towards those that are in need. The church is often seen, tell me if you think this is true, the church is often seen as a place that cares more about attendance records and offering numbers than it does about caring for the needs of the poor. And and while some of that is unwarranted, some of it is warranted, to be honest. And so I want us as a church, I want the church worldwide to be marked not by those things, but by a heart that truly cares for those that are in need, as Jesus did. So that's the first thing that we should notice, what kind of a gift this is. The second thing is that it's for the saints. The, the collection is for the saints. It's for fellow Christians in need. Now, we saw last week that that there's there's a unique kind of love that we are to have for brothers and sisters in Christ, both in our church and worldwide. There's something unique about that. But also we have a universal love for all people in need because all people are created in God's image. All that we have has been given to us by God, and the good news of Jesus Christ is for all people. And so there's the generosity that goes to all people, but there is something special about the love and the generosity that we have to those that are fellow Christians in need. So the principles are specific to those that are brothers and sisters in Christ, but I think they apply broadly too. So those kind of caveats in mind there, with, with those things in mind, right at the beginning in verse 1, we see that, that the generosity Paul is talking about is not common. It's not something all human beings are called to, but it's a unique gift of the grace of God. He says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Heart of true generosity is a gift of God's grace. And Paul holds up, holds up the Macedonian churches as an example of this grace. So then, generosity like this, unique generosity, help for those in need, is not a means of earning God's grace. It's not what we do so that God's happy with us. But it's, in fact, a gift of God's grace. That if we are true children of God, He gives us the gift of being able to be truly generous and help people in need. So we should think about, when we think about true generosity, we don't think of it as a work to earn God's favor, but we think about it as a gift of God's grace. And the only way we're going to be able to give with true generosity is if God has changed us and God is working in us the fruit of the Spirit. This is a grace of God. It's an evidence even of God's grace in our lives. The Holy Spirit is going to produce this fruit. But what is it going to look like? What does true generosity look like? What are its characteristics? I'm going to give you seven, all right, that are in this passage, I believe. Seven characteristics. The first one in verse 2 is that true generosity is not conditioned on circumstances. True generosity is not conditioned on circumstances. So it says they gave in verse 2, and the way what they gave, here's the context in which they gave. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So Paul describes the conditions in Macedonia that brought about their generous giving. And to be honest, it doesn't sound like a good recipe for giving. This is the time of year where, where you make cookies, right? And a good recipe for cookies has butter and sugar and um, it's got flour and eggs 
And it's got delicious things like chocolate and, and cinnamon. A good recipe for cookies does not have beef broth or lettuce. That, that's a bad recipe for cookies, right? And so the, the recipe for generosity mentioned here is, is kind of strange like that. It says that Paul says in the midst of severe affliction that the, that the Macedonians had extreme joy coupled with extreme poverty and that that overflowed in a wealth of generosity that they gave with no strings attached. They weren't seeking personal benefit. They just gave freely. So think about it this way. More, more. I don't always do visual examples, but I thought this was helpful. Here's a pot from our house that we cook in. So here's. I want you to think about this as the Macedonians, okay? That's maybe they wouldn't appreciate that. Um, but think about this as the Macedonians. So what's heating this is severe affliction, testing, physical hardship is is heating up the Macedonians. And what's inside them is is extreme joy. What's it say? It says an abundance of joy mixed with extreme poverty. So you've got heat from persecution, and mixed in there is joy and poverty. Now that doesn't sound like a recipe for lots of really great giving, does it? But here's the, the secret ingredient is joy. And when there's joy and God's grace in the pot, then, then something amazing happens. And the, the affliction's there, and the poverty's there, but the joy's there. And so what starts bubbling out over top of their lives is generosity. They just start, they give. They give freely of what they have. True generosity is not conditioned on circumstances. You might say, I'm in distress. <laughs> I'm the one that needs help. Or, or you might look at your finances and you think, I'm the one that's in need. I need people to help me. But the Macedonians teach us that when God gives us hearts that are filled with joy and that have experienced all the grace that we have in Christ, then, then however great our hardship is and however small our bank account is, suddenly a wealth of generosity just starts to bubble out of us because it's, it's unique. It's something that God does in us, it overflows in true generosity. True generosity is not conditioned on circumstances. How is that possible? I think it's possible in part because of the next principle. And the next principle that, that I want to say is, uh, number two, true generosity requires that we constantly redefine our needs. True generosity requires that we constantly redefine our needs. What allowed poor persecuted Christians to generously give to people that were in need. The text says here, verse 3, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify. Paul saw this. He says they gave from what they had. And then it says, and they gave beyond their means. They gave beyond what they had. Now, does that mean that they took out loans to give? No, I don't think so. And I don't think that it means that that, that Paul wanted them to suffer unnecessarily. He even says that later on in, in verse 13. Same chapter, verse 13. I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened. So the point is, I don't want you to be in hardship so that they have an easy life. So what's going on here? I think what happened is that as the Macedonians heard about the needs of their brothers and sisters in Christ, that the, the Holy Spirit moves in their hearts so much so that their needs become redefined. They, they give what they can, and then they think, you know, I don't know if I really need this. Maybe I can sell this so that I can give more. Or maybe maybe I don't need all this money. I can I can find ways to give more so their needs become 
become redefined by those that are in need of, of real things. They need food. They need clothing. They, they need shelter. And suddenly the things that they say, well, I need this. Maybe I don't really need that. And if I get rid of this, I, I could give more. George Mueller. George Mueller was a, a man uh, who started an orphanage in, in London. Uh, and he had orphans all, all around him. And, he, and, he, and God provided for every need that he had. But as I think about George Mueller, I imagine that his personal list of needs grew shorter and shorter as he saw the poverty that surrounded him. I believe that because I remember reading this in a segment of his biography. He speaks of a, of a room that he had. This is the quote that, that, that George Mueller says. He says, my room is far better than I need. Okay, remember that. My room is far better than I need. But an easy chair to kneel before in prayer would add to my comfort since my body is weak. He says, I've got everything I need. What would be nice is if I had a chair so that when I kneel to pray, I could lean on it because I'm weak. Now, this isn't George Mueller giving us a humble brag, right? It's not, he's not trying to sound like he's pious. This is someone, it's flowing out of the heart of a man who knew true need and who had redefined his own needs because he was, so that he could bless others. He saw that he was blessed in so many ways, and so his needs were redefined. So let me say this. In this season of, of commercialism, that don't be fooled into thinking that you need everything that the advertisements tell you you need. Beware of those advertisements. Beware of malls. <laughs> the mall, by design, does a wonderful job of telling me all the things that I need that I didn't know I need until I went to the mall. And when I went to the mall, I said, oh, my clothes aren't as nice as I thought they were. Or the electronics in my house aren't as great as I thought they were. And suddenly I think I need all of these things that I don't really need. Beware of a sense of entitlement. I think our culture has moved from the realm of consumerism to entitlement. So not just that we're surrounded by a bunch of things that we don't need, but we think that we deserve everything. So if someone else has it and I don't, well, I deserve to have it. doesn't matter my, my circumstances. I'm entitled to it. Sound like the Grinch, don't I? Am I telling you to take all your gifts back? Am I telling you that, that uh, if you've purchased something that's really not a necessity, uh, that you need to give away? No, that's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying at all. I just think that we need to constantly redefine our needs. What we do need to, it's, it's a blessing to give. And every, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights. And, it, and everything can be sanctified by the word and prayer. First Timothy 4. There's a way to, to give gifts in a way that, that, is, that is great. This sweater is a gift from Ken and Emily. They gave it to me two Christmases ago. And I like it. Do I, do I need it? Well, I don't know if I need it. But it's a nice gift. It's a, it's a gesture. And, and we need to, we do that. And this is, so there's not a one size fits all way to understand what your needs are. But the principle is that when we're filled with, with true generosity, we're always reevaluating our list of needs. We're always saying, how could I, how could I take what I have and leverage it so that I can give to others? We give according to our means, but then we say, yeah, maybe I can give more. Maybe if I, if I got rid of this, I could give a little bit more might be difficult. It might be hard. It might actually hurt a little bit to do that. But the joy of, of foregoing pleasures so that we can give to those in real true need outweighs whatever joy and pleasure that thing brought us. So at this point you think maybe I'm trying to guilt you into something. <laughs> or that Paul's trying to guilt the Corinthians into giving. You know, I think people take this passage that way. 
He's trying to say, look at the Macedonians, the way that they gave. But I don't think that's true because the third thing that I would say, the third principle is that true generosity is voluntary and eager. It's voluntary and it's eager. Look at the end of verse 3. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord. I wasn't twisting their arm. They wanted to do this. And then it says, um, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Again, this is a time where we give gifts. I think some people give gifts out of obligation. <laughs> you feel like you got to give a gift to certain people. You know, I think that most of us don't want to give that way, and we don't really want to receive from someone who says, well, I feel like I have to give you a gift for one reason or another. What's so great about this season is when people give out of joy voluntarily, they, they want to do it. And that's what, what, what Paul says, this is what true generosity looks like. This is how the Macedonians gave. Verse 3, they gave of their own accord. They did it because they wanted to. And then in verse 4 says, they begged him for the favor, for the grace of participating in the relief of the saints. They wanted to do it. I infer from that, and I could be wrong, but that, that Paul and others saw the difficult situation that they were in and maybe told them about the collection but didn't ask them for any funds. But when they told them about the collection, the Macedonians said, no, we want to give. They said, well, you guys are actually the ones in need. No, don't take this opportunity from us, Paul. Don't rob us of the gift of giving to those that are in need. Yes, we are poor and afflicted, but don't you dare take this, this joy from us, this opportunity from us. A heart that's transformed by the gospel is, is filled with voluntary, eager generosity. He, Paul expands on this in, in chapter 9, verse, verse 6. He says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. So it's a personal decision. What's, what's God put in your heart? Each one has to give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly under compulsion. For God loves what? A cheerful giver. God doesn't want your money if, if you're upset about giving. Brothers and sisters of Grace Fellowship Church, this is what happened last Sunday afternoon at our at our members meeting where we went over the budget. This was such a joy. For those of you that weren't here, we had unspent missions budget funds. And the church said, we got to spend that. The church said, we need to give that to someone. We had money left over that didn't get spent in the way that we had budgeted it. Now, for some ministries, that's okay. But for the mission stuff, we said, we got to give this away. And so... Um, we, we decided let's let's give some money to the trips. Let's give some money to the wolves who are who are taking the gospel to areas where where it's needed a, across the world, across cultural barriers. And then we said let's let's add some to the Philippines offering that we took, so that we can help those that are in need in the Philippines because of of the storm. And let's let's give some to Jefferson Street Baptist Center. Let's let's help those that are in need, especially this this time of year. And I, uh, and, and what happened was it was done with, with, with open hands and, and smiling faces as we sat in this room. It wasn't done with, with clenched fists and tight jaws. Okay, I guess we'll give, you know. It was just, it overflowed. And I was the, I was the leader in this. I, I felt just carried along by you all. It was, hey, let's do it. Let's give the money away. That's what God is talking about, uh, what Paul is talking about here. It was, it's what happened in the Philippines offering that we took the first time. It's what happened in, in November when we had our Thanksgiving meal. It, it's what's happening as, as change is coming in for Jeff Street's change for change. This, this church, we, we want to give and you give with, with happy hearts. And so I want to say this in case you forgot or in case you, you, you just don't remember or, or you think that maybe our little church isn't, isn't doing that much. I want to say God loves you because you are cheerful givers. 
God loves you. Isn't that wonderful? That's what it says. God loves a cheerful giver. Grace Fellowship Church, God loves you. That's what we are. Let's keep it up. <laughs> Let's not lack. Let's keep moving forward in this. Of course, true generosity isn't just about writing checks, is it? True generosity, number four, true generosity gives more than money. True generosity gives more than money. Verse five, and this, not as we expect, expected, but they, speaking of the Macedonians, gave what? Themselves. First to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. You know, it's not easy to write a check in one sense, but in another sense it's really easy to write a check. It's easier to do that than to give your life. But Paul says that the Macedonians not only gave their goods, their material goods, but they gave their lives as well. In fact, I think what I would infer is that they gave their lives first. This was the first thing that they did. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. I think the order is that they were fully devoted to Christ. They were fully committed to Him. And then they were fully committed to the ministry of the the apostles and the spread of the gospel. And so then it just made sense. When the opportunity to give came, they said, well, yeah, we've given our entire selves. Of course we're going to give of our money to help. So let me say this, especially to those of you that maybe are younger, you don't have a steady paycheck, kids even. I, I want to encourage you that this is the place to start. So that so that when you do have money to give, you want to give it. But it begins by saying, God, here is my life. Do anything you want with it. It's by giving yourself first to the Lord and to the work of the ministry. Then the money is what follows that. But we need to be doing the ministry first. And this is to all of us. Let's be devoted to the work of the ministry, not just the funding of it. As we seek to meet real practical needs in our community, a check is not enough. As we see needs within our own church, money is not enough. We must be devoted in our time and in the giving of our very lives to those that are in need in ministry that we have. The early deacons were a great example of this, that they had the money to feed the widows, but what they needed were men and women that were that were going to help with the distribution of it. There were lots of people that wanted to write the check, but they needed people that were going to help with the distribution of it. So true generosity gives more than money. And as we are fully devoted to Christ, as we lay down our lives for him and for the sake of the gospel, then everything else will flow with it, including our money. Isn't that how Christ gave? I think that's the that's the next and the, and the main idea, is that true generosity number five is a part of Christ likeness, and a sign of true faith. True generosity is a part of Christ likeness and a sign of true faith. Look at these key verses, beginning in verse seven through nine. But as you excel in everything in faith and speech and knowledge in all earnestness and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Some of you will remember a couple weeks ago as we thought about what does a godly, righteous life look like, that we said it's not just right worship, and it's not just holiness of life, but that God also requires love for those that are in need, that that's a reflection of his kindness and of his, his justice to the poor in the world. I think this is Paul's point here. He tells 
the Corinthians, he says, you guys are good. I mean, you excel in some really awesome things. You excel in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in earnestness. I mean, you are zealous for the faith. Your love, uh, in our love for you, this, this love that we have for one another, you guys are doing awesome in these things. But I want you to excel in this act of grace, meaning the act of giving more. Add this to it, guys. You need to excel in giving as well. He reminds us that to be like Jesus is not simply that holiness of life and the right worship, but is also freely giving of what we have. He goes further in verse 8, and he, he kind of says that, that this collection will be an evidence of the genuineness of their love. And then he bases that argument on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And verse 9 is kind of the jewel in the middle of this passage, isn't it? It's just such a beautiful word here. Verse 9. True generosity finds its roots in Jesus. We could say that true generosity actually finds its roots in Christmas, couldn't we? Paul says, you know this. Look at that, verse 9. You know. You guys know this, but I, I want you to think about it again. So I encourage you. You know this. Let's remember it, though. Remember, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ? How, how does Paul define the grace of the Lord Jesus? He says that though he was rich, though Jesus was rich, he, he was enthroned in heaven. He's, he's worshipped by, by all the angels. He has, he has no needs whatsoever. Though he was, he was rich, fully sufficient in and of himself, though he was rich, yet... For your sake. Yes, it was for the sake of his own glory, but there's something about the gospel that says it was for your sake. It was for you. It was, it was for me. For your sake, what? For your sake, he became poor. That's deep, isn't it? He humbled himself to be, to be born into this world as, as a helpless baby, to be born into a world that rejected him from the very beginning. He didn't even have a room to stay in the first night on earth, he was rejected from the very beginning. He was born to be raised in poverty, the son of a, of a common couple. He was born to ra- live his whole life in poverty, not even having a place to lay his head during some of his ministry years, it says. But he became poor. He, he humbled himself, and he became obedient to the Father, obedient even to the point of death, right? And not just death, but death like a common criminal. A man who had never done anything wrong dies on the cross as, as a murderer. And he never sinned once in his life. And not, he, he dies. And, and he, as he dies there, he dies poor and penniless. The last thing that he owned, the clothes on his back, the soldiers that are killing him are bartering over. He died with nothing. He became poor. Why? Why did God, the God of the universe, who was rich, Become poor. He did it so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. And now, don't let anyone fool you into thinking that that means material goods. Reject the prosperity gospel. Reject it completely. That, that is, that does damage to this verse in a way that is irreparable. So that you by his poverty might become rich. Not that you would have material goods, but a richness beyond anything that we could ever imagine. Don't cheapen this verse that way. To be rich here means that, that you and I would, would come to know that, that Jesus died so that we would know him. Know him, Colossians says, in whom are hidden 
all the treasures of wisdom and godliness. That's the treasure that we want. That's the riches that we want is Christ. It means that, that in our sins, we are flat broke. I mean, you've got nothing in your sin. We have absolutely nothing to bring to God. And in our sin, we are condemned before a holy God. We are judged because of our sin. But then Ephesians 2 tells us, but God being what? Rich in mercy. He humbled himself, but he was rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works. No one can boast about this. The good news and, and the good news that, that true generosity springs from is that if we turn from our sins in repentance, we turn away from sin in repentance, and we turn by faith to Christ, we will be saved, and we will be made right with God, and we will be made rich. And you want to talk about rich. This is rich. We will be sons and daughters of God. God, the King of the universe, we become joint heirs with Jesus Christ, princes and princesses in the kingdom of God, awaiting for the return of the King when he comes and we reign with him forever in the new heavens and the new earth. And people that have experienced that kind of grace, that kind of true generosity, it just flows out of us. You just give. If you've been changed in that way, if, if you see a God who humbled himself in that way and became poor for your sake so that you could become rich like that, how can I hold on to anything that he's given me? How can I not freely give to those that are in deep need, especially my brothers and sisters in Christ? <coughs> true generosity, then, is a sign of Christ's likeness, and it's a sign that we are true children of God. Let me give two more very quickly. True generosity is more than the desire to give. True generosity is more than the desire to give. Paul tells us in verse 6, he tells the Corinthians that that Titus is coming to complete this act of grace. And we're going to wrap things up, okay guys, I'm going to get the offering and we're going to bring it. But then in verses 10 through 12, he encourages them, follow through with what you said you're going to do. Verse 10, and in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. Now, let me summarize what I think Paul's saying. There's probably more here to it, but I think Paul, in a sense, is saying, put your money where your mouth is. You guys told me way back when that you wanted to give. It's time. The collection time is coming. Have you given? I think sometimes this is what we need. We need to be told this. Uh, Because we all want to give, don't we? And we all have that desire. And and the questions come, how am I going to give? Who should I give to? How how much should I give? And we've got to make those decisions. But there's also a time where you just say, you just got to do it. Um, Because the desire, Paul says, the desire to give is good. But you know what's better? Giving. <laughs> so it's good that you desire to give, but but you need to give. I, I feel this in my own heart. You just get busy, don't you? And there's so many needs that surround us. I mean, I get stuff in the mail every week, maybe every day. People asking for money. You get the phone calls. Who am I supposed to give to? And it gets overwhelming. But I'll tell you what. If, if God's put it in your heart to give, you know what you need to do? 
you need to give. <laughs> Don't just desire. True generosity is more than the desire to give. Let me close with this final one. True generosity is a matter of fairness. That sounds strange to you. It sounded strange to me when I wrote it, when I read it. True generosity is a matter of fairness. But notice this in verse 13. He says, I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but uh, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need. Let me read that again. But that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their needs so that their abundance may supply your need that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. That last phrase is, is referring to the manna that they gathered. And the children of Israel gathered manna, and everyone had enough. God provided everything that they needed. didn't matter how much you gathered. Everyone had what they needed. He, he says here, you need, you're in abundance right now. You have a lot. So you need to give to people that don't, so that when you don't have anything and they have a lot, they give to you. There's an equality thing. There's, there's a fairness aspect to it. This is this is unique. Now, I'm not talking about political systems, okay? So don't call me whatever political system that you hate that I'm espousing right now, okay? Um, but what we're saying is within the church of God, within God's people specifically, that there should be no poor. I think that's what he's saying. He's saying this is a matter of fairness. If you are children of God, then it should it should equal out. Let me give a little bit more support for that because that might sound strange. Deuteronomy 14. So this is a part of God's people for all time. Listen to this. Deuteronomy 14, 4 through 6. You can check it out. I'll just read it. it. It says, but there will be no poor among you. Old Testament, that's what God says. There will be no poor among you. Really? For the Lord will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance to possess. If only, if only, here's the condition, you will strictly obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all this commandment that I am commanding you today. There will be no poor among you if you do what I told you to do. There's these laws, laws of, of release, where if you keep land for a certain period of time and it, owned, it belonged to someone else after a certain period of time, it went back to them. There's the whole year of Jubilee. There's, there's gleaning laws so that, that people who are, are poor actually can go into the fields and work and, and get food by, by working. And so there's all these laws in the Old Testament that were meant to keep there from being any poor. And, and the Lord says, if you do this, there will be no poor among you. Did the Israelites do it? No. And so they were poor. And Jesus himself says there will always be poor among you. But but what's unique then is in the New Testament, in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit comes and the church is formed, something amazing happens. You remember this, right? I mean, the community comes together in a unique way, unlike any other time in history. And it says they devoted themselves, this is Acts 2, 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to, and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. 
And the Lord added to the number day by day those who were being saved. They're selling things to help those that are in need. But then check this out. In Acts 4, it gets even crazier. Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that anything, that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. No one said, this is mine. <laughs> but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. Listen to this. There was not a needy person among them. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them <laughs> and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each as any had need. Isn't that nuts? The, 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 new, the church comes together. They, they've experienced the grace of God. There's rich and there's poor and the rich say, there's poor. We, we gotta do something about this. And so they, they start selling houses. They start selling lands and they distribute it to the poor believers that are there so that there is no poor. It says it right there. I promise you, Acts 4, 32 to 35, there was not a needy person among them. That's what happens when true generosity breaks out within the people of God. It's amazing. I don't know if it's ever, ever happened again in the history of the church than what happened here in Acts 4. But but we can try, can't we? I don't know what this looks like. I mean, this is crazy. That there would be no poor among you. But But I think that within our own church community, as we covenant together, can't that be true? That, that we meet the needs of one another, we make sure that there is no poor among us? That's what true generosity looks like. And, and it's a matter of fairness. And, and the reality is, the people that we give to now, maybe someday they're given to us. That we're in need. And they help us. I don't know if it'll, if, 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 I don't know that this is going to break out across the world. I don't have hopes for that happening through our own human effort, but I'll tell you what I do have hope of is that just as Jesus came in his first advent, he's, he's coming again and he's bringing a new kingdom. And in that new kingdom, guess what? No poor. <laughs> there will be no poor in the new kingdom that, that Jesus brings. There will be no poor in the new kingdom. There will be no need. So I just want to read something that, that looks forward to that day. Isaiah chapter 65. Just think about what it's going to be like. And as we think about what it's going to be like, we're not trying to usher it in, but we do want to reflect it. We want to show it in the true generosity that we have. And it's going to flow from the heart that God gives us. Here's what it says in Isaiah 65, verse 17 to the end of the chapter. For behold, God says, I create new heavens and a new earth. And the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be. And my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not, run, not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. For they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and the descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. The dust shall be the serpent's food. 
They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. One day, one day when the king comes, that's what it will be like. And those that are in his kingdom, that's what we will experience. And there will be no more need among us. Let's reflect that now with true generosity that flows out of a heart that's been transformed by the gospel. But by the God who was willing to become poor, who was rich, but became poor. Why? For your sake, for my sake, so that we, through his poverty, could become truly rich. Let's take a moment of silence as a church. We, In response to the, the word of God, we just like to take a moment of silence to reflect, allow God's spirit to speak to our hearts. Um, and after a little bit of time in this moment of silence, I'll, I'll close this in prayer. So let's just bow our heads for the moment of silence and I will close this. Father, we ask you that you would give us this grace. Give us this grace of generosity. Holy Spirit, bear this fruit in our lives. Not just as individuals, Lord, but as a church. We would be truly generous. Not because we're trying to make you happy with us, Lord, but because you have filled us with such joy and such riches in Christ. Lord, thank you for all that you have given us in Jesus. We have all that we need. Though we lack nothing, we have every spiritual gift that we need. And so, Lord, even as we have material needs, help us to give freely. I thank you for the cheerful giving that happens at this church, and I pray that it would continue and increase. Lord, and we look forward to the day. We look forward to the day when there will be no more poor among us. There will be no more need. There will be no more suffering or death. Thank you that that you have come. But you came once as a baby, but you are coming again as a conquering king. We have hope of that. So, Lord, we thank you for Jesus, and we pray all this in his name. Amen.